0: Welcome to Blue Royalty, a is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Parker Humphries, joined today by Abdullah. Abdullah, we are here bringing you a little Champions League group preview. Um, we're going a little bit early on this one, but just obviously because of timings, um, Chelsea's first Champions League group game is the 15th of November, and we'll be sort of bringing the Everton review before then, so we wanted to get ahead and sort of do a rundown of the teams that the Chelsea are going to be facing across the next couple of months. So whether you're listening to us on the Blue Royalty feed or the London is Blue feed, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, if you are listening from the London is Blue feed, please do go over to Blue Royalty and subscribe. You can get all of our episodes on that feed. And whilst you're there, if you want to leave a five star review, we would be very grateful. But to start the show, Abdullah, I think we need to revisit, obviously, the news from Saturday, which we did talk through in the episode after the Aston Villa game. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, Emma Hayes announced she was leaving in that game. If you want, like, sort of a detailed breakdown of our initial thoughts, go back and listen to the full episode from Saturday. Me, Abdullah, and Ollie sort of ran through it. But how are you sort of feeling now, you know, a couple of days after this, had a chance to process... The news maybe a bit more.
1: Probably a lot of it is still the same. Uh a little bit like, okay, it, it it makes sense, you know, look, you've you've been there 10 11 years, you've practically won everything besides the Champions League, you've won four titles in a row, domestic cups. So I mean I think as as Emma Hayes, you're like, All right, I get it. I, I mean I I can move on and the US women's national team is probably the second or biggest job in, in, in international football. If not generally in, in football right now. Um and to kind of take them from um what looks like the next cycle starting and obviously not winning the, the last World Cup. I think it's a good chance for her to be able to stamp her authority and kind of build a team around the way she wants. And she's got obviously the 2024 Olympics and the 2025 you know 2024, 2025, you know, got a couple of big international tournaments coming up. So it makes sense and someone of her stature and, and ability to to be able to coach one of the best you know international teams ever I think makes sense. My only concern now is not more so that Emma's leaving is that okay, can Chelsea be trusted enough to be able to bring in a capable you know successor because as we've seen multiple times, it's very, very difficult to do that. And um if we're going by early indications then possibly it's it's a good idea, but you know I we'd have to see how, that ends up turning out
0: yeah I think that element of the club's involvement in it has been quite under discussed I think within the women's football media generally and I guess it's interesting because we kind of exist in a different place you know we're part of a bigger Chelsea podcast we sort of look at Chelsea as a whole whereas I think lots of the women's football media see Chelsea women as almost this separate silo and to a certain extent within the club especially with Hayes and Paul Green's roles it, it kind of has been but Todd Bowley and Beard Agbali have kind of come into the club and they've had to sort out all this stuff on the men's side and they've basically been able to leave the women's side to get on and do whatever they were doing because it was sort of fine whereas now suddenly they're in a position where they are going to have to make decisions um on the women's side decisions that you know haven't had to ever really be made or seriously be made for a very long time at the club and I think, obviously, there's a natural concern there, given how sort of the hiring process has gone in the past on the men's side under under the new ownership. Um, but it will be interesting to see just as well, because and I think this is why, like, Paul Green's role and stuff is very crucial, is because, like, clearly there aren't a load of people, like, clued in on the women's side that were specifically brought in by the new ownership because they didn't need to be. Um, so it's going to be really interesting, I think, to get an idea of how exactly that decision making uh, process is is working out. Uh, just some kind of updates, because obviously when we talked about this on Saturday, it basically just came out, and every news outlet in the world was sort of scrambling to try and actually source some information. Um, some interesting stuff that came from the Washington Post saying that um, Matt Crocker, the U.S. Soccer Federation exec, has been in London for meetings with Chelsea to discuss her availability before she takes the reins full-time in May. This was something that I think was had already been implied um, by various outlets on Saturday, that the potential that Hayes could go to training camps during the international break. The Washington Post seems to imply in this article that if Chelsea hired a successor in the coming months, they, they would release Hayes from her contract. That seems very unlikely to me. Everything I think the club... Uh, has implied is that Hayes is staying to the end of the season. It's just a case of whether she, how much she's doing while she's doing that job. How do you feel about that, Abdullah? I've, I've kind of like gone back and forth on on this idea about Hayes doing stuff kind of alongside Chelsea. I think for me, I kind of just at this point sort of trust that she wouldn't want to fuck up her last season or the end of her last season to the extent that I'm like, I don't really see it as a problem if she's going to go to the international break. The only thing that's like kind of funny around all of that is the conflict of interest you sort of get around players like Fischl, like Makaria, where you're like, so you're running the US's international camps and then you also have these players at Chelsea. Like what happens if you really want to play them for the US but you know one of them's got like a injury or one of them's not ready, vice versa? Like who, who are you rooting for at that point? I think that's the only thing that's like sat in my brain. Like I don't know entirely how this works
1: yeah it's um it's a strange and i I was I was reading that, and I was like, like you, I think I trust her not to want to go and and kind of have full focus on on Chelsea. I think the time that she has when the players are away is a to train the players that haven't gone, which to some extent there is a decent number of players that do end up staying at Chelsea for training, but it also takes away from kind of strategizing and and looking at the next set of fixtures and kind of planning out, you know, starting 11s and who should be playing and how should we doing it and training sessions, it's in that. And if she starts going on international uh, breaks of which, let's say there are two weeks and she ends up going for a week and kind of, you know, comes back maybe four days before, you know, that's, that's five, six days lost. And it's not like, you know, she's, 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 she's managing England or France who are like neighbors. Like it's like a half an hour, hour, two hours away. It's, it's a it's a good seven eight hour flight ten hour flight to the U S depending on where they are having to go see everybody come back you know it's it's a long trip and and you know it's it's not a it's not an easy one either and I agree I think I think it becomes a very much conflict of interest because then the U S will be like wait why aren't you playing Fischl? why aren't you playing Macario you know when fit like you know are you just like deliberately saving them because you know you have you have minutes and you have uh, things that you know every club coach complains about. And in this case, she can control that for two of her players and then overplay maybe another club. And in other clubs, will just start having a moan saying that, hey, hold on, me officials not played an extra 20 minutes, but then X, Y, Z player did and it causes this issue. So it's just a whole nightmare. And I think Chelsea want to avoid that. The US probably want to avoid that. I can see maybe like video calls and stuff happening and maybe one trip potentially just to kind of just go once it's maybe officially announced just to kind of go and say hi I exist I'm here you know I'll be there at some point and then we'll go from there but I think otherwise the rest of it is probably just going to be on like zoom calls and telephone calls and, and just kind of things like that going okay give me you know reports and updates on on the team and the training camp
0: yeah it will definitely be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of who takes over uh Naz Kinsella, reporting that Chelsea are yet to start their recruitment process, but it's understood former Manchester United manager Casey Stoney is among those who are admired, but also that England have sort of viewed her as a contender to take over from Wigman if she was to leave her role after Euro 2025. Stoney tweeted today saying, not the way we wanted to end, but still so much for these players, this club and our incredible France to be proud of. League champions, record crowds, and second playoff final in a row two years into our existence. Still, I know it's not enough. That's obviously in reference to... Um, San Diego Wave losing in the semifinal of the NWSL playoffs. They lost 1-0 to, to the OL Reign. That still, I know it's not enough. It's an interesting sentence. There's plenty to read into it there. But just circling back to the Chelsea element of it, I feel like this, you know, yet to start their recruitment process, on case, Estonia is among those who are admired. It feels a bit written on the back of a fag packet you know it feels a bit like what Chelsea fans were doing what as soon as it got announced like oh who'd we like oh yeah we'd like Casey Stoney it does really give this implication that the club were a bit taken by surprise by all of this
1: yeah it seems like it because if this was going to be the case and it could well have been and it's just only being announced now but from based on what, what we're reading and what you're saying as well if the U.S. wanted her Probably, and they probably knew that they were going to fly, fire Vladko at the end of the World Cup, right? They got out. I'm pretty sure they made up their mind within a week or two of, of the World Cup finishing. And if they really wanted Hayes as the number one target, I wouldn't, be, you know, I'd be surprised if they didn't come to this agreement, if it if it has come up so fast, come to this agreement, you know, in the summer. And so that this announcement was made before, so then it just gives them more and more time. Because it's just, again, the timing is weird, right? We're in the first week of November. It comes out now. And I think just putting all that together, the couple are like, well, this is this is happening. So, you know, what do we do? And um, you're right, like it's like Casey Stoney is is an easy link, you know, in terms of her links with Chelsea, been in England before. So I mean it's a good it's a good link, but yeah, it seems very much like, oh, it could be her. Here's the first name out there. And you're like, Well, okay. I mean, usually you'd have like the shortlist is one, two, three, and then, you know, Chelsea are looking at different managers and, you know, but one, two, three are possibly up there. In this case, it's almost like you said, it's just that they've they've, they've pulled out a name and said, we'll just stick Casey Stoney against this just so we can have a name there. Because I don't, because if, if Chelsea haven't begun their recruitment process and we're going by with the way Paul Ben-Stanley and Stanley and Todd Bowley, et cetera, have gone about their recruitment process of managers and, and, and things like that, they usually have about, 20 names on the list that they scuttle down to about like two, three, four. In this case, if they haven't even started and there was only one name being linked, I I feel like it's a very much a knee-jerk, everyone just kind of putting a name in the ring going, you know, it's like maybe Casey Stoney's agent just threw it out there just as an early link. So I don't think this may have come from the club side. I think this is just people putting speculation out there. And, you know, I, I think considering the way Pochettino was hired, it'll probably go down the same route they'll do like several interviews narrow it down go around the final interview and then go from there so going back to what well, we, you know they were saying that you know Hayes could be freed from a contract if they hire somebody early i don't think they're going to make a decision very very quickly i think they'll see the next 3 to 4 months and then make a decision after that
0: yeah it's definitely one to keep an eye on, we'll definitely bring you lots more chat around this, Um, maybe a couple of our own shortlist, people we're interested in. Um, But I think it's understandable Chelsea don't want to rush it, and there's no need to rush it, to be honest. um, It makes sense to sort of take the time to scope out candidates and make sure you get the right pick. But... You can go back and listen to that, that full episode we did on Saturday, which which touched on the Aston Villa win as well, and then kind of our immediate reactions. There's, there's more, more stuff there, and there'll be more to come. Obviously, this isn't a story that's going away anytime soon, but we will take a little ad break here. When we come back, we'll get into the Champions League group stage chat. So all of this feels much more important than it maybe did before. Um, Not that it wasn't important because I think everyone goes into the season wanting to win the Champions League, but it does feel like it's all a bit more weighty now. Chelsea kick off their Champions League campaign away at Real Madrid on Wednesday the 15th. They then have Paris FC and Hecken at home before going away to Hecken on the 20th of December. Then they come back after the Christmas break to play Real Madrid at home and finish off away at Paris FC looking at this schedule abdullah do you feel like chelsea is starting with the toughest fixture here do you think real madrid away is you know a good one to get out of the way first
1: yeah i think so i think i think not i'm not putting and saying that you know not winning the first game of the season is sorry the first game of the group stage of the champions league is 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 a is a is a good thing but if you're gonna lose a game, you might as well lose to the hardest, quote unquote, the hardest opponent, especially away from home in the first game. Is you kind of like it's almost like a semi-free hit where you're like, well, out of the six games that we have to play, we've played the hardest one, and whatever the result is, you've got five other games to to claw that back, right? So, I think in that sense, it's it's great to play Real Madrid away um, so early on, uh, especially in in this thing, and I think depending on the way, I mean, considering the way Chelsea are going now and, and the run of form that they are, I can imagine this continuing in the next six, seven days where their form is high. And so while you've got Red Hot form, you might as well want to take that into your toughest game as well. So you can see it in, in two different ways, right? And, and if you do end up beating Real Madrid away from home, well, that's a huge load of pressure off, right? You've just kind of gone in and beat the hardest team in the group and away, and, you know, away from home and suddenly everything else looks a, a, a lot better and then you, you know your your remaining gains become a little bit easier to, to to navigate through but no I I think I think Real Madrid away from home they were um they're a tricky side I mean even when, they, when they're not playing well they've got decent players there so I think I think it's um it is it is one to, to keep an eye out on
0: yeah and I think it's a great, if you can go and get a win there, it's great to sort of be able to go and win that, then get two home wins and sort of be sitting on nine points halfway through. just think it takes the pressure off. Thought we'd have a look at how these fixtures fit in with our other matches. I will say it's annoying. Real Madrid are playing on Friday now, and we're playing Sunday lunchtime ahead of this game, which is a bit irritating. But Real Madrid have a horrible set of fixtures all around this. They've got Real Sociedad, then us, then Barcelona, I think, then... Hecken maybe so it's quite a tough start for them for us i think the most difficult period feels like it will be that last block we do play arsenal before we have Hecken at home but then we've got bristol city before Hecken away but the last block which is when we're coming back after the christmas break so i believe we'll have an fa cup fourth round fixture as our first game in january but then when we've got Man United at the bridge, Real Madrid at the bridge, Brighton away, which is obviously something we classically struggle with, and Paris FC away. So I feel like that again really emphasizes the importance, Abdullah, of getting points on the board quickly so that by the time those games come around, you're not really like desperate to pick up wing wins in between two potentially quite tough WSL matches.
1: Yeah, for sure. And um it just it just seems. I mean, I know we say that the WSL doesn't really have any easy games, but there have been times. I mean, Aston Villa side, which I think was a bit too easy, and that was, I think, I think that's going to be the biggest free hit of the season. All things considered, I even I I, I think even Bristol City will give us a little bit of a tougher challenge uh, later in the season than uh, than than Aston Villa did. I think I think last weekend. But no, you're right. I, I think I think just kind of racking up points as soon as possible becomes super important because if we've seen Liverpool this season, they they look like a force to be reckoned with. They they're they're looking solid. Their players are doing well. They've got some key players there. So, and then you're playing Everton, who have you know consistently been a decent side in the WSL. They've caused some issues, maybe not so much, um, lately. But like they are always a dangerous team, and to kind of play Everton. Real Madrid, Liverpool, Paris, and then Leicester have been no pushovers either this season. It's a tough run of fixtures in November, right? And and one that I think Chelsea have a very capable of picking up three points in every single one of these games, right? So I can easily see, you know, us being on six points in the Champions League and then another nine points off the three WSL games. And, you know, considering the squad size and everything that, that we have, I think I think it is possible. But but yeah, it's 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 kind of annoying that we're playing on Sunday. Okay, albeit we're playing it early on Sunday, and then it's a later kickoff on the Wednesday. But that's just a short turnaround time. Real Madrid get an extra day and a half, you know, of rest, which has always been the scheduling issue. And then once we play on Wednesday, we're back up playing on Saturday again. It's not like we're playing on Sunday, which is really annoying. So we've got that day short over there. So I think between Everton and Liverpool, I think is the biggest annoyance. And then you know, fine between. Liverpool and Paris got a few days off, which is fine. But that those stretch of three games, I think this is where the squad's going to be tested to the max. And, you know, Sam, whether she's fit for Everton or not, we don't know. Probably, hopefully, should be fit for Real Madrid completely. But then this is where you're going to need Aggie Beaver-Jones and, and, and the like who have come off the bench but haven't started. And, you know, me officials been starting. That's, for example, up front. And so I think these three, for example, these three set of three players of, of Kerr, Aggie, Beaver-Jones, and Mia Fischel can be super important for Chelsea. And using that depth across the three games and giving significant minutes to all three, I think it becomes hugely, hugely important. And that's where the, uh, you know, the squad depth comes in. And, you know, like we've got Sophie Ingle, you know, didn't play at all last weekend. So she could easily start against Everton and is fresh. Uh, Aaron Cusper went off, uh, you know, early. So she, she's a bit, you know, it's a little leupels. We don't know what's wrong, but hopefully she comes back soon. We've got another midfielder in there. Frank Kirby's first. So, I mean, I think we've got the squad depth to to navigate through this, but it's just about smartly using the minutes and then kind of having to navigate through the annoyance of these shorter recovery days.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, Definitely, squad is going to be really, really crucial, I think, in these games. And, you know, Everton away does feel like a game where you're like, if Sam needs more time so she can start against Real Madrid, like, just put Mia in there. I think it's going to be really crucial. And that's what's been exciting, I think, to be able to see players like Beaver Jones, for example, like Kanarid, putting in good performances, getting goals, because they're the kind of players that you are going to want to turn to to play extra minutes if there are other players that you think need that little bit of extra rest to really be able to go in the big games, they obviously have obviously got to have the balance of sort of having them ready to go at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, this is obviously where the schedule gets really you know we know we've seen before like it gets tough the the turnaround the travel the amount of time you get to prepare and you know like other sides in the league will have Conte Cup fixtures but they're going to be able to go and play a second string team we're realistically looking at playing more like our second string in some of these WSL matches which to a certain extent maybe says there are levels in this league but also that that stuff's hard you know and you can slip up in these games as you say we've got games against Liverpool we've got games against Leicester both teams who have looked good at different points this season um both teams who've got good good results already this season so uh be interesting to see exactly what uh Hayes settles on in terms of who gets the starts in those um all right let's take another break here and then when we come back we'll start talking about the teams we're facing specifically Let's kick off with Real Madrid then. For anyone who's sort of wanting an introduction on Real Madrid as a women's team, um, they come from... It's like they're in quite a different position to to their men's team. They only started uh, their women's team a couple of seasons ago, a bit like Manchester United. But unlike Manchester United, they took over an existing licence in the Spanish League. So there is sort of some continuity from... An original team um they're sort of perennial second places in uh Liga Effa. they've actually never won anything they kind of like amusingly if you dislike Real Madrid um managed to still not win the Copa de la Reina last year even though Barcelona were chucked out because Atleti ended up beating them in the final um we played them in the group stage last year so we beat them 2 0 at home, goals from Ingle and Cuthbert. And then we drew with them 1 1 away. Caroline Weir um, gave them the lead. And then a Guru Raisin penalty, uh, which was sort of nodded in by Misa Rodriguez, somewhat luckily, met um, equalise. Uh, that game was a real, like, if you want to watch one of Sam Kerr's worst performances for Chelsea, that's the one you go watch. They're a bit of an interesting prospect this year, Real Madrid, because if you were just to sort of go and look at their results, Abdullah, you'd think this is a team who are doing quite well. But if you talk to anyone who watches this team every week, they will tell you that they are quite horrible right now.
1: Yeah, and I don't know why I've always had that thing where team people have always said, like generally when you hear about Real Madrid in pockets, they're like, yeah, yeah, decent team, they're good, they've got a few good results here and there. It's like when it's time to listen to them. and then sometimes it's um sometimes then when you hear it, it's like actually Real to have, have deceived to you know to, 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 to flatter to deceive and and you know they actually don't a- end up doing it like they end up having like periods of like all right we're going to win a lot of games and then they lose crucial games and then they kind of look up and down and then, like, in the end they just end up being second it's like as if they can be 15th the entire summer of the season at the end of the season you suddenly sit and they're like second and then the champions again you're like how have you done how have you done that but uh yeah, no, I, I think um I, I think with them it's it's honestly I can I, I can't even tell you because with Real Madrid it's very 50-50. You could end up having a Real Madrid side that could come in and, and really you know be aggressive and 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 you know really push to uh uh really pu- push to put you ahead. I mean there were moments if I remember last season when we played Real Madrid where in pockets, they actually cause they caused us a lot of issues. And it was like, okay, fine, interesting. This is and then they suddenly they just had one moment of like uh of failure, and then that's it. You know, they 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 lost the game. And uh, I mean you look at their squad, right? It's not like they have bad players. They've actually got some really, really good players in there. They've really buffed up their squad. Um, a couple of young, talented players in there, especially in the attacking side with a bit of experience that have come in and, and really given them something to go off of. But um, yeah, I, th- I think with Real Madrid, it's a very much a 50-50. There's such a wild card team that you could have, you know, like Misa having the game of her life with Olga scoring 45-yard bangers. And then the next thing you know, I don't know, anybody going in and giving away a penalty and suddenly they've lost all the confidence and then the floodgates broke And So yeah, I c- couldn't even tell you from there.
0: Yeah, I think you- you've touched on one of the key things that's kind of weird about Real Madrid is that they do have... Players on the face of it who you're like these are these are good players you know Linda Caicedo is someone they brought in and she's just feels like someone who can always create something out of nothing we've seen what Olga Carmona can do in big games at the World Cup this summer um even though they are now don't have Caroline Weir available because of her ACL injury um that's obviously a really really big blow but they've got senior brune who came in from leon um although she was sort of always in and out of that team um but she's kind of scoring the goals but it feels like the big issue for them continues to be that sort of out of possession organisation in terms of who's leading the press i feel like that's something that Weir and Esther were both like really big on Esther obviously went uh, to Gotham in the NWSL over the summer as well. So two of the really like sort of important players in leading that team have been unavailable either through transfer or injury. Um, and I think in defense in particular, you can tell Real Madrid themselves know that they're not quite settled. They were linked to Natalie Bjorn uh, from Everton over the summer. They, they wanted to sort of do a record fee for a defender for her, but Everton kept hold of her. They're eyeing up Sophia Kleinherner from Eintracht Frankfurt in the January window, who's a player I, I like, to be honest. But I think, again, if you talk to a Real Madrid fan, they'd say the, the problem is less about the personnel and more about the fact that the manager clearly struggles to put them together in a way that creates any kind of consistent side.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think that also explains the inconsistent performances that we've seen from them. Like, there are moments in games where I've seen people on Twitter go like, oh my God, this is like the best game I've seen Real Madrid play. They were like, they won 3-0 or 4-1. And then the next thing you know, it's like, well, you know, where's the, where's the consistency? This player's playing out of position, that player's playing out of position. And I, I think you're right. I think it comes down to the squad balance that's a bit off. Like, they've got some fantastic players who are great in attacking areas you you know you mentioned linda caicedo athenea has got the potential to do a lot of good things in, in the forward areas naomi feller's raw but you know she, she's pretty decent and then you got the experience of Heliosso and, and and a bit of signa brun in there um you know but then in in, in midfield arguably i mean you caroline we obviously is injured but Taletti and teresa are fantastic ball playing midfielders right they're both sixes they're both really good on the ball but then, who's doing the running in that midfield? I don't see anybody who'd be able to run around. And then in defense, um, you've got Kathleen, you've got Ivana, you've got Olga. Again, great players on the ball, but can you trust them in one-on-one, you know, uh, situations? Olga's a great um, attacking left back, but she used to be a winger, and then she has got converted into a left back. And and I feel like when you when you have players who are so ultra attacking in your in your fullback areas. Um, you need to have a defensive structure like it's it's teresa and so are amazing but then i don't i don't know how much the ground they can cover against you know someone like a johanna and encountering you know like she could probably eat the space that olga leaves behind if 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 the chelsea were to play that way right or you you just allow that one-on-one chance so i think i think for real madrid it comes down to that you're right it comes down to their organization it comes down to their tactical identity and how they want to play out of possession but um yeah, I think that squad imbalance is there. And uh who knows, maybe, you know, they they see how it plays in the first game, and then maybe by the second second game they have to play and, and a January window rolls around, then uh we might see a slightly different uh team and personnel.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting thing about this Champions League group stage, which we, we haven't had before. Like it didn't run into January last, last year. And there is this kind of Weird thing where players could be coming into teams at different points and in that window, um, and sort of like mixing things up a little bit, um, which to me, in terms of like integrity of the competition, feels a bit strange. Like this idea that, for example, Heckam would have to play Chelsea twice, but then when they come back and you know that just happens to be in December, and then but then they could sign loads of players. You know they could sign, head a Hegerberg in January, and then suddenly <laughs> it'd be a totally different, you know, so. I think all of that's a bit of a, a strange thing about the way the, the group stage has been set out. But I think for, for Chelsea in these game, it, games against Real Madrid, I, I do feel like Chelsea weren't particularly impressive against Real Madrid last year. Um, I think their best group stage performances came against Paris Saint-Germain. Um, I thought in both games they were really good, even if in the first one it was pretty dull, but in the second one that it was very comprehensive, whereas against Real Madrid it felt like they were riding their luck a little bit. I don't know whether that's because we've kind of got... It, the other way around, like last year, the Real Madrid games were sort of like stuck in the middle. Um, You know, they were match days three and four, whereas we're going to go away to Real Madrid and hopefully want to make a statement performance. Um, I think for me, Abdullah, the key about playing Real Madrid is about having really good fullbacks because you, you've mentioned... Uh, Naomi Fella, who I think is a really talented player, um, and ha- I think has been quite important for Real Madrid this season. Caiçedo, she's not really scoring at the moment, but she's getting into positions where she should should score, and we know like the the struggles that she can cause. Um, we also know that Jess Carter can defend against her because we saw her do at the World Cup. Um, that feels like the real area where you want to focus on Real Madrid because they just feel like they rely so much on that sort of individual talent. There, if you can shut that down. There's not necessarily as much sort of going for them in terms of like coherent play.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 um, I think I think again, like like we said, I think it just comes down to the fact that these players are young. I mean, they're not um, they're not super experienced. They they've only got a couple of those players in there. And I think for whatever they've done so far, I think it's it's sort of impressive. I mean, if I just look back at the last few results that Real Madrid have had, I mean. They beat Ibar 1-0, you know, over the weekend. They beat the Le- Levante, then beat them in the last game before that, 2-1. You know, they beat Valarenga 3-0. They beat Granada 5-2. And just before that, they have beaten Real Betis 5-1. But then they, you know, they beat Villarreal 1-0. So they're starting to build a little bit. And that team is obviously gelling together. But I think getting those players to kind of be consistent I think, becomes the more important part of it. And, OK, they've shown a little bit of consistency now, but I think the real test would be, I mean, look, they've got out over the weekend on Friday. Uh, then they've got Chelsea at home. Right after, they got Barcelona in El Clasico. So, like, you know, three really tough games coming up. And I think these three, or even, even the hacking game, will probably be the... will basically be the ones that they, they end up having to decide, you know, how good they're going to be this season what they're gonna do, um what they're gonna do in January and how they how they kind of where they need to, to shore up because it's like again in defense they got a lot of experience in midfield they has got a decent amount of experience up front they don't really have that much experience so how they consistently put that together I think I think becomes really important. So yeah we'll have to see how they do.
0: All right. Let's move on then to BK Hecken um who are realistically the team I know least about. I have watched quite a bit of Swedish league this year particularly when Micah Hamano was at Hammerby Um, it's quite exciting guys if you've missed out on what's been going down on the the Swedish league Uh, it's going down to the final day which is next weekend or this weekend coming up Hammerby on top with 56 points and a goal difference of 42 Hecken in second with the same number of points goal difference 39 Lindtroping just behind Fifty five points goal difference of forty six. Um, Hecken coming off the back from this weekend of they were kind of in the driver's seat on this one, but they lost three two to Hammerby. Hammerby went three 0 up in that game, um, which featured a goal from none other than our own Jonah Anderson. Uh, Hecken did, uh, get two goals back, but it wasn't enough. Um, for them to to pick up any points there, and all of this makes them quite like an intriguing. Team to to face up to Abdullah, and this hasn't always really benefited Swedish teams in the past. But as we're talking about, Heken are about to finish their season, they've got this really intense end to it, and then as soon as their season's finished, they've got to go and play six Champions League group stage games. What what kind of impact do you think that that's going to have on them as a team?
1: In in a way, I think for them, it's sort of okay because at that point they only have to focus on six games and yeah sure the break between december 20th and january 24th is going to be massive and they're going to probably going to have to have a mini preseason again just before those uh their last two games against paris fc and 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 real madrid but I think up until match day four, I think they should be okay because then they'll be going into these games going, all right, we actually have the match fitness. Everyone's like so well bedded into the season that fitness isn't really much of a problem. And there's enough of a break between those the last game and the first few games for them where they can recover normally as if they would be practicing for a regular weekend, uh, you know, weekly game and still maintain their... Um, you know, going forward. And 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 arguably against Real Madrid and Paris FC specifically, they should have a little bit of an upper hand because they have more rest, but they also are probably more match fit than any of the other three teams uh, in the group right now. So I think in, in that scenario, I think it's okay. I think only problem that they'll have is, is probably match day five and six, where there's just such a huge gap that everybody goes on holiday, comes back, and then it's like a mini preseason for them again, just to play two more games. And then if they qualify you know, we see what happens.
0: Yeah, definitely. It will be interesting because I think if they lose the league, that feels like quite a bummer to then have to go and play all of these other good games. And then the other thing that's kind of interesting around this is that Spurs' coach, Robert Villaham, he was Hecken's coach until he sort of ditched them halfway through their season to go and join Spurs for the start of the WSL. And I think the departure doesn't seem to have like crazily affected them as in it feels like they've been able to like carry on the same level of play but they we have seen them start to concede a lot more goals recently um obviously that those three goals against Hamby were were a big thing but they conceded three against FC 20 as well in their um two two two-legged qualifying game um do you think that's just sort of the pressures of a long season Abdullah and do, do you think that might tell then when we get into the the Champions League groups, we know, I think at the very least from watching Villahams Tottenham is like that the, he coaches very well organized teams, but it feels like maybe that's what started to slip in recent weeks.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, I think usually when, when you have that and a new coach comes in more often than not that sort of organization and it kind of sort of like everybody kind of restarts and, and you sort of bring, bring that back. And, um, considering they have a goal difference of of 39, which is um which is better than uh than than any of the top three teams that are in the Swedish league, then you know you'd be inclined. I mean, consider, they've only conceded ten goals all season in 25 games, right? So I think I think from a defensive point of view, if we're saying that, that defensive organization slipped once a hand left, and that's maybe they say three four goals, then you'd be inclined to think that they'd be a very very hard team to to, to break down. Um. I expect them to be very, very tough to break down, just because of because of that fact alone. And when they're coming up against uh, Paris, Real Madrid, and 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 uh, and Chelsea, I think it becomes very much a case of defense first, organization first. Focus on that. We'll play on the counter, and then if we can nick a goal or a draw, you know that's that's all we can. That that's that's what we'll that's what we'll do. So yeah, I expect them to be a little bit harder to beat, in especially with their defensive record this season.
0: All right, let's move on then to the final team in the group, Paris FC, who are a team who've caught a lot of people's attention uh, this year. The reason they've caught a lot of people's attention is that they knocked, first of all, Arsenal out of the Champions League in the first qualifying round before knocking out Wolfsburg. Obviously, they at Wolfsburg were Champions League finalists last year. They knocked them out, winning 5-3 on aggregate in the second qualifying round Which had everyone sort of thinking like, wow, this team, this incredible team sort of sprung up overnight. I mean, Paris are a team who have sort of always been there and thereabouts towards the or have been for a while towards the top of of the Arcama, but not quite as high as your Leons or your PSGs. Um, But I mean, some people might revisit the opinion of just how good Paris FC are, given what happened at the weekend where they were absolutely walloped. 6-1 by Leon. How shall we understand this sort of contradiction, Abdullah, between this team who's clearly able to compete with some of the best teams in Europe? Like their their wins against their victories against Arsenal and Wolfsburg, they're not really flukes. Like they're in those games. It's not like they're nicking a 1-0 win. They scored eight goals against in three games against those two sides. But clearly, there's still a vulnerability there that Leon were able to exploit. Yeah,
1: I I think I think Paris this season have been have been have been obviously really really good there, but I think defensively they've been leaky. You know, you you talk about the the games that they uh, that they played against Arsenal and Wolfsburg, which I think you know they obviously did really really well and they kept a clean sheet against Wolfsburg in the in the second leg, but the first leg. They let in three goals against Arsenal. They let in three goals in in one of the games. So it's it's not like they've been consistently good um, defensively. Yes, in the league maybe, but against the bigger teams, your Arsenal's, your Wolfsburgs, they have um, they have conceded in obviously their first big real test against. Uh, against Lyon in the league. And then suddenly, you know, they they've lost it 6-1. So I think I think their biggest weakness is going to be their um their defense. And and kind of watching the, you know, some of the game from from the weekend, I think their the mistakes for a couple of their goals came from from the couple of younger players in the in the in the defense. And you know that's something that that Paris have to be careful with because they've got a very uh talented forward line and a very robust midfield. Um, it's just about keeping their defense, their defense tight. Because against teams that are equal to them or uh in and around them, they're good. I mean, they for example, they beat Le Havre 4-1, they beat Guangon, you know, 2-0, they smashed Dijon 6-0 on, you know, in October. So they have kept clean sheets. They have been able to um, they have been able to score goals. But I think once a team with a little bit more a tempo a little bit more, a little more quality, if I can put it that way, comes in. I think they um, they they struggle a little bit to kind of gain hold, gain a hold of the game. But Paris definitely have the quality, you know. And 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 currently they're sitting second in the league, which I think for you know is is massive considering you know they've got six games and fifteen points. You put that Paris PSG, PSG, their their city rivals, are sitting in sixth place with you know have okay played two games less, but they're on nine points. So that's it's it's a big push for for paris
0: yeah and i think it's really interesting because i feel like for me what stands out about this paris team is that that kind of difference between the attack and the defence that you've you've touched on they are a team who when they win the ball high up the pitch they will punish you because they have a lot of quality and they leave they like to leave players up so that when they turn the ball over they've sort of got two three four players even who are ready to ready to sort of run into the the box. And they did well against Wolfsburg and Arsenal from doing that. And even against Leon, you know, they got their equalizer sort of from that and they did have chances uh doing doing a similar kind of thing that, you know, their extra against Leon was was 1.3. So they could feasibly have scored more in that game. But as a result, the problem is, is that defensively they do end up being a bit more open. So if you can play through their press, you're kind of golden. And, you know, some of Leon's goals were, like, incredible. Like, the if you haven't seen the Eugenie Le Samer first goal that she scores in the first minute, like, okay, the the ball breaks in the box, but, like, for the that finish to be done, like, there's nothing you can do about that, really, as a defensive team, because that is just pure, absolute pure quality. But we could see, Abdullah, in that game that, for example, Cadi Diatu Diani got a lot of joy in those one v one situations, which kind of reveals that that quality that Paris have higher up the pitch just isn't quite there in the same way, further down the pitch.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the amount of space that Elie Carpenter, Salma Basha, Kadidiani and Les Lesameir, to to a lesser extent, they had so much space to run into the wide areas and and beat them one on one. It's it's like the, the Paris fullbacks couldn't uh, couldn't keep up. And you know, considering the quality level of quality that Chelsea have in the wide areas, is as good as Leon's, if if not, maybe a little bit better in some in some regard. Um, I I can see that being a, a big big problem. Like I mean, if you see a Neve Charles, who's been one of the best players at Chelsea this season, running up against that Paris FC right back, then you know I don't I see that you know I can easily see that being um, you know a nightmare for the defender. So I think Chelsea will really need to focus on the wide areas and, and kind of go from there. Um, which is what you know, Leon were able to do consistently uh on Sunday. And 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 try and get the ball in and around uh the box, which I think I think well, Sam will flourish. I think this could be a really good game for me official as well, who can kind of hold up the ball and win those aerial duels as well and 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 help the players around her flourish. So yeah, that'll be it'll be interesting to see.
0: Yeah, and I think sort of from a Chelsea perspective, this is a game where in midfield, we really want players who aren't going to turn the ball over, players who are going to feel mobile. Like if I was going to pick out games not to play Sophie Ingle, it would probably be against Paris in terms of you need to really like not take your time on the ball because they will like snap into you and they will turn the ball over and then just run at you. Um, but if you've got players who are ready to move the ball quickly who can like turn and run with the ball. I think like Aaron Cuthbert's a great example of that. Someone who's like comfortable receiving the ball, but like quite quickly makes decisions and then can both pass or run. Whereas Ingle is someone who sort of likes to be a bit more settled and then pick a pass out. Um, I think that could be really key because, um, they can be really, really aggressive in the final third and that's where they get a lot of joy. So I feel like this is a game where squad slash first team selection will be really, really important. Um, in those two games. But I'm very intrigued to see how Paris cope because I think they're a really exciting team. And for example, like we touched on Real Madrid not necessarily being a very organised team out of possession. I think Paris is sort of the opposite and seeing those two match up will be really, really interesting. And um, it's going to be interesting to see, I think, how the other teams in this group do because as we've seen before in the past, that can kind of hurt or hinder a a more dominant team at the top, um, depending on where they drop points but that pretty much wraps us up for today abdullah thank you for joining me thank you so in terms of chelsea coming up they are heading away to everton to walton hall park that's on sunday at one o'clock uk time we will be with you after that game to break it all down before they fly out to madrid for this first group stage game then we host liverpool at Stamford Bridge and Paris at Stamford Bridge in sort of back-to-back Saturday and midweek fixtures before having Leicester at King's Meadow. That takes us all the way up to the international break. So a pretty crucial run of fixtures coming up. I mean, touch wood, I hope that Everton game should be fairly straightforward for Chelsea. I mean, obviously, who knows sort of what mental state the players are in after the announcement um this week, but they did all go to Mamma Mia here we go again, which is like the live Abra experience at the O2, which I've always wanted to go to, but it's hella expensive. So good for Chelsea for playing paying those girls enough that they can afford to go. So Mia Fishel and Katarina Makaro were throwing some axes. I'm sure we all wanted to do that as well, but um, hopefully they got a chance to sort of like, relax and process it and i hope we sort of can get into a rhythm of playing games and it's not going to be something that really hangs over the club i don't know if that's actually possible but um hopefully a good confident win against everton will, will set us on our way over a couple of interesting fixtures that are coming up before the international break but we will be talking you through all of those of course so until then chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high